Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you and your life. One of the things that I enjoyed as a young person was being a part of the Boy Scouts of America. We went on camping trips. We went high, and we didn't just go, you know, there are camping trips and then there are camping trips. I found out that some people feel like when you uh, get this big, big, big uh, truck thing that you drive out into the woods and you live in the back of it, uh, this big RV that that's camping. To me, that's just moving your house out to the woods for a week. Um, that's not really camping. For us, camping was uh, uh, we would take everything that we were going to have for the time that we were camping. Most of the time, it was over a weekend, and we would uh, the tent, sleeping bags, food, everything that we were going to have, we had it where we could carry it in and we uh we hiked for uh three to five miles out to where the campsite was and then we stayed out there there were no cars there were no telephones uh uh i I try and explain to my children that when i was growing up uh, uh surprise surprise there were no such thing as cell phones that people carried in their pockets so you know you didn't you didn't have you were cut totally cut off from civilization uh, for the time that you were out there. Uh, If you took a shower, you had uh, one of those shower bags you filled with water and you let it out. Uh, You set it out in the sun all day and and let it warm up so in the evening you could take a warm shower. Most of the time, though, we would take a shower in the morning, which meant uh, we had cold water and we were running around in circles trying to keep the water from hitting us. uh, uh, But uh, Or we just didn't take a shower and came home stinking and smelling and everything. And there were some that came home and they were ready to eat because they did not uh, they did not understand that we weren't out there to, to cook for them and take care of them. It was for them to learn how to do that. One of the things, though, that, um, that we did was uh, we hiked up uh, in the mountains sometimes. And, and my brother actually got had the opportunity as part of the Boy Scouts to uh, hike the Appalachian Trail. And uh, so he he was able to do that and hiked on uh, Mount McKinley and all that kind of thing and and uh, uh, few a year or so ago we took the girls up to Stone Mountain and uh, I looked at that uh, thing and I said nope we're riding and so we rode to the top uh, I can't imagine today trying to hike to the top of even like Stone Mountain I don't know if any of you've done that. Uh, from what I'm told it's not an easy little trip it's not like uh, uh, but getting on that tram and going to the top is easy you just wait your turn you get on it and you go up there they take all the work out of it for you Um, but getting to the top of a mountain and enjoying that view 
is is just priceless. It's the opportunity to look out over everything that's all around. Uh, usually, uh, when you do that kind of thing, you're on the uh, the tallest structure in the whole area, and you get to see down in the valleys. You get to see the beauty of of everything that's for several miles. In uh, uh, May 29th, 1953, an individual did something that nobody else had ever done before. Can you imagine being somebody? that's done something that nobody else has ever done. Uh, Edmund Hillary, uh, many of you may uh, have remembered him because uh, politicians said that they were named after him when they were born actually uh, before he uh, did this in 1953. So it was kind of a, a, a silly thing. But uh, Edmund Hillary climbed to the top, was the first human being to stand at the top of Mount Everest. And I find it kind of ironic, though, that he didn't go up there by himself. He had Sherpas that went with him. They never talk about those guys that carried all the uh, the luggage and all the things that he had to take to get up there. They just talk about Edmund Hillary like he was all up there all by himself. But he... Uh, but. We'll not get into all that. Uh, he stood at the very top of the world and on the top of the highest uh, mountain in all of the world and looked out and saw uh, for, for a sight that nobody else had ever seen before. In fact, he, he was so high up that I imagine he couldn't. Uh, he was above the, the cloud cover uh, at times. Today I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that I think is like the Mount Everest. It is a pinnacle. It is the peak of Scripture. It's found in the book of Romans, written by Paul as he was yearning to go and uh, spend time with his... uh, uh, Paul was a Roman. In spite of the fact that he was a Jew of Jews, he was also a Roman. And uh, he uh, thought a lot... he had a great desire to minister to the people of his hometown in Rome. And, and uh, he longed to go to Rome in order to share the gospel. And, and Romans is a book that's written to his uh, hometown to try and share some, some of the gospel message before he ever had a chance to go back home and to share that gospel. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to find our passage of Scripture today. And uh, it says, uh, There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. This is verse 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For that, uh, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because of the eternal uh, uh, of the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, uh, neither indeed can be. 
So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if uh, so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by this, his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And so we have a passage of Scripture, and this is the very pinnacle uh, of Scripture because Paul's been working towards this for the first seven chapters. He's been talking about the law and about sin and about uh, the uh, uh, the price of sin and the penalty of sin. And he's been talking about uh, uh, Jesus Christ and about how He came to pay that penalty. And so uh, Paul is, has laid out this plan of salvation. He's told about, he's told his his hometown folks about what Jesus Christ did. He came to fulfill the law. He came to to uh, not to to tear down the law, but to to fulfill it. And he comes to this passage of scripture that and and the very first verse. Is is kind of pointing back to the fact that he is he has already laid this uh, this groundwork. He says, "Thou there is therefore now no condemnation." He's he's kind of saying, "Because of all of that, because of all that I've said before, now there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus." Why? Because he's talking about how uh, this. The sinful nature, the sin that is corrupted and, and has uh, destroyed the human life has been eliminated by Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of paying the penalty of sin. And He says, now that you have an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done, now that you see what Jesus has done to, uh, to go and to take the penalty of your sin, now what does that mean? And he's getting to the point of uh, of saying, you know, a lot of people when they hear the gospel and they come to church and they hear about Jesus Christ and how He died on the cross and how uh, God uh, desired to to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins because we had that sin penalty that that none of us could pay that only Jesus Christ could pay. Uh, they. They, they they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they say, yeah, I want to have that. I want to, I want to have Jesus in my heart and life. And they walk the aisle maybe and they come down and shake the pastor's hand and, and they sit down and somebody comes and helps them fill out some forms and they go and be baptized. And, and a lot of people get uh, confused about all of that. They think, you know, uh, this is the whole culmination of why I come to church so that I get saved and I can join the church and be baptized. And uh, But... Paul is here trying to help us to understand that that is like saying that birth is the culmination of life. You know, everything that's leading up to life culminates in birth and then boom, that's it. But all of us that have ever been born and and that would be everybody in this room. 
uh, right? All of us that have been born know that that's just the beginning of life. We see birth as just the beginning, and everything that happens in what we call life happens after we're born. Well, for the Christian, uh, eternal life is not something that comes later when we get into heaven. Uh, Our existence as uh, a child of God, our uh, beginning of eternal life begins when we accept Jesus into our heart and life. And now everything else after accepting Jesus into our heart and life is eternal life. Everything that we, when you accept Jesus into your heart and life, you're, you're no, never more going to experience true death which is separation from God. And so Paul here is saying, now that you have eternal life, now that you have Jesus in your heart and life, you need to understand a few things. And first of all, he says, first he says, there's no condemnation. (coughs) When we accept Jesus into our heart and life, no more are we... It's... It's kind of like being the guy that is has done uh, a tremendous crime. Uh, We have had throughout our history a period of time in which we have from time to time uh, someone who becomes notorious because of something they've done. Timothy McVeigh for blowing up a federal building in Oklahoma. Uh, uh, We have uh, other people that have done notorious things uh, in history that are crimes. And the difference between those people and the average criminal is is that the average criminal expects to get away with it. But these individuals, like the D.C. sniper and other people, uh, they perpetrate this, these crimes and they expect to get away with it, but, and, but they don't go off into anonymity throughout uh, 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 society. Uh, they're not just simply put into jail and people forget about them except for maybe the people that were affected the most by them. Um, people like Timothy McVeigh and other people that are notorious, they are trotted out in front of the media and the world and, they, and everybody sees what they have done and they all know that they have done. Everybody has you know, held their breath hoping that they'll find uh, like, for instance, the the shooter in Vegas, or the, uh, who shot into the concert, or the shooter at the uh, bar in Florida, or the shooter at the school in Florida. You know, all these high profile profile crimes. They take the person that did these crimes and they present them to the world and they say, "Look, we caught them. We got the person." And in everybody's mind, they know that this person is guilty. They go throughout the whole trial and they all, everybody knows that person is guilty. And once that person is declared guilty, everybody watches as they're taken off and they're sentenced to jail or whatever they're sentenced to. And they go off and they watch this person go off into jail. Paul says when you accept Jesus Christ in your heart and life, you know that you're guilty of sin. And everybody in this room has sinned. There's not a one of us that's ever been born that has not sinned uh, save Jesus Christ. He's the only person that's ever lived without sin. So all of us have done this. 
You, you might be sitting here saying, no, no, I've not done, uh, I'm not a sinner. I'm not, I'm not like some people. Uh, yeah, you are. You're just like everybody else. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has done something wrong. There's not a one of us alive that hasn't sinned. Um, and the Bible is, is clear about that. And we're all stand accused. And Paul has laid out that accusation of breaking the law and how the law was established so that we would see how sinful we were. And now he comes to, to chapter 8 and he's talking about how Jesus has come and He's died on the cross for all of us. And he says, he says now there's no condemnation. Well, what's condemnation? Well, it, you can probably get the fact that condemning is the root of that word. And what do you do when you condemn someone? Well, when you condemn a person to the death sentence after they have been convicted of committing murder, you're, con- you're assigning to that person a sentence that they deserve because of their crime. And Paul is saying, we are not receiving the sentence that we deserve for the crime that we've committed. We're all sinners, but we don't receive the, the condemnation. We don't receive the sentence that we deserve of eternal separation from God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done. He says, Jesus is coming to your life. And He says, He's trying to point out to you that you're no longer the same that you once were. You were, uh, you were destined for an eternity separated from God because of your sin. You were eternally uh, wrong, have, had internally wronged God for what you've done. And the problem is, is that there's a lot of Christians that go throughout our lives after we realize that we are sinners, we realize that we are so undeserving of God's love. And, and in spite of the fact that we accept Jesus into our heart and life, there's some Christians who live the rest of their life as a Christian as if they're so undeserving. Now, there's, there's a difference between humility of knowing you don't, under, uh, don't deserve it, but accepting the fact that Jesus gave His life for you. There's others who continually live as if they don't deserve salvation and live as if they never received salvation because of what Jesus Christ gave. Now, Jesus freely and willingly gave His life so that we might have eternal life and He gave His life over to us so that we might uh, be able to have His sacrifice so that we would not have to uh, pay the penalty of our sin. And He willingly gave that to us. Uh, but these people, they, they, even though they accept that free gift of salvation, they live as if they never have. And so Paul's saying, there's no more condemnation for you. If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, if you have Jesus Christ in you because you've accepted uh, his, uh, his eternal life, then you have God within you and, he, and you no longer live Court, and, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But, he's, uh, but then he, this is also addressing those people that, that live. Now, I, I knew an individual that he believed that once he received Jesus into his heart and life, and Jesus wiped away the sin in his life, he believed that, that he no longer had to worry about sin because 
He never did sin. He believed in his mind that once he accepted Jesus into his heart and life that he couldn't sin. Now, come on. You and I know that that's not true either. We all sin. And in spite of the fact that we have accepted Christ into our heart and life and He's uh, washed us white as snow, as Robin was telling the children uh, on Wednesday night uh, explaining the, the, uh, the wordless... Uh, the, uh, the bracelets that had the different colors on it, one of those colors is white. It's because we've been washed white as snow. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we've been cleansed. That's kind of like your truck or your car out there. If you're one of those people that loves to wash your car and you get out there and you get soap and you soap all over the, the your car or truck or your bass boat, whatever it is that you like to wash. Uh, personally, I like to let the dirt stay on there so it keeps the car all in one piece. If I, I'm afraid if I wash it off, it'll fall apart. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm afraid every time it rains that, that something's going to fall off the car. Um, but uh, if you're one of those people that loves to wash your car and you're out there and you're washing that car, I, I pass by some of them uh, sometimes on Sunday. They're out there washing the car instead of uh, uh, coming to church they're, they're out there worshiping that car they, they, you wash it and you clean it and you and you spray off all the soap and dirt and grime and everything you get a towel or chamois or whatever you call it and you go over that car and you get all the water off and and it's sparkly and clean and everything guess what it's still dirty. It's, still, it's going to get dirty again too. And that's just like our life. In spite of the fact that Jesus came and washed us white as snow, the sad fact of the matter is, is that we still, if He took us on home to, to heaven right at that moment as soon as we accepted Christ into our heart, that we wouldn't have to worry about sin ever again. But the fact is, is that we live on this earth and we continue to live after we accept Christ into our heart, which means we continue to have a problem with sin. And that goes all to the, to the point of, try, of God's uh, uh, trying to... Uh, His sanctification of us. Uh, we have justification, which is Jesus cleansing our heart and life, making us just as if we'd never had sin in us. That's justification. That's how you can remember what that is. But sanctification means is that, okay, I was a sinner, and now God is working in my heart to move me along and get me to the point where we are more like Christ and we're more like Him. We're more like Christ and to the point where we don't sin as often, not because we're not sinners, but because we have more of Christ living in us, more of Christ living and working in us. And Paul points this out. He says, look, if uh, for the Spirit of, of Christ is in you, if you've accepted Christ into your heart and life, you're no longer uh, condemned with sin. You're no longer uh, destined to have sin in your life. Uh, and you don't have to worry about the Everywhere Paul went, everywhere Paul preached, he had problems with these Jewish people that would follow along behind him and talking about how uh, people in order to accept Christ as their Savior needed to become a Jew first and then they could accept Christ. And battling with those people that wanted to stick people with having to, okay, they got to fulfill the law, they got to keep the law in their life in order to accept Christ in, into their heart. Paul said, look, that's not what the law's for. That's not what the law's trying to do. The law's trying to help you to understand you need a Savior. You, don't, you no longer are, are under the law. 
He says, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit is what you need to worry about. He says, verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, meaning the law can't get you to salvation. You can't get your flesh to salvation. Only Jesus Christ could do that. God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, was able to do that for sin, which is to condemn the sin by His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Why? So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. So that you might be able to have what the law was attempting to do. The law was pointing out to you how sinful you were, but the law never could make you righteous. And there's a lot of people in Paul's day that, that believe that, well, if I do certain things, if I uh, eat a certain way, if I, if I uh, wash a certain way, if I live a certain way, then I'm going to be holy people. We've got those people today. You're not Jewish, so you're not caught up in the law like uh, these people were in Paul's day. But we've got people that believe, well, if I go to church, then I'm, I'm a righteous person. If I, go to, if I give tithe to church, I'm, I'm even better. I, I'm doing good. And if I go out and I help people and I do good things, then I, that makes me a righteous person. And there's a lot of people that believe that, well, if I don't go out and I don't murder anybody, if I don't go out and I don't rob the bank, if I don't go out and race my car up and down the highway and kill people as I'm driving my car, then I'm an okay person. I'll get to heaven. And Paul is saying to these people in his day, you can't live by the law and gain righteousness and I'm telling you today in a little bit broader sense you cannot live by the laws of man and you can't live a good enough life to go to heaven you can't live a good enough life to be righteous only Jesus Christ can do that in your life only what he did on the cross of Calvary can get you in the doorway to beginning to become righteous and only what Christ does in your life after you accept Christ into your heart and life only in how you live as a Christian can get you any closer to being like Christ. And Paul is saying, look, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in what uh, Jesus did on the cross. Uh, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. He says, look, people who are still in the flesh do the things that the people are in the flesh do those who are in the spirit do the things that are in the spirit it's kind of like um, if you don't have Jesus in your heart you're going to always be a sinner you're going to always live a sinful life you're not going to change your life there's nothing you can do to you can be the best person in the world you can give more money than Bill Gates to charity you can do any uh, all these things but you're still a sinner but Paul is saying look uh, you can't change the fact of who you are. It's like the old saying about the cheetah and its spots. Any of you young people know that one? You can't. Uh, the, the, what the saying is, you can't uh, change a zebra's stripes and you can't change a tiger's spots. Well, if you're a Christian, is that not a... No? Leopard spot. Excuse me. Okay. Tiger's got stripes too. Okay. Um, a leopard spot. Uh, uh, maybe I need to take a trip to the zoo and, and learn, my, learn my animals a little bit better. Anyway, you can't change a zebra or a leopard 
to be anything other than whether they are a zebra and a leopard. Doesn't matter how long they've been in captivity. You can't change a zebra from having stripes. You can't take a giraffe and make him into a hippopotamus. And you can't take a sinner and make him a saint except with the power of Jesus Christ in your heart and life. Only through His power, only through His uh, changing can you do those things. He says, how does God do that? Because you're no longer the sinner, you're now a new creation. He's talk, he talks about how the indwelling, he says, if you are in the flesh, you have flesh in your life, but if, you have, if God is coming to your heart, if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. In verse 8, verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if he says, you're, you're not, you can please God because you are in the Spirit. And he says, If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So he's saying, he's kind of laying down the law. He's saying, look, you have to have Jesus Christ in your heart and life. You have to have... Uh, Jesus in your life to please God. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. He says, look, your body is no longer condemned by sin if you're in Jesus Christ. If you accept Christ in your heart and life, your body is dead to sin. Your body is dead in sin. It's no longer you, uh, but you're in Christ Jesus if you have Christ in you. Verse 11, But if, God, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up, also, uh, raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken uh, your mortal bodies by His Spirit and dwelleth in you. Now, this last verse, verse 11, points to the whole question that you have in your heart and mind right now. If you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart and life, you're probably sitting there, how, how, can, I do, how can God really do that? How can God change me fundamentally? You, you just said a minute ago, a leopard can't change his spots. A zebra can't change his stripes. A giraffe can't become a hippopotamus. Well, that's true. We can't do any of that because we didn't create that, those creatures. They'll always be the same because that's how God made them. But look, I'm not talking about me doing that in you. I'm talking about God doing in that you. He says you can please God if you have the Spirit of Christ in you. If you've accepted Christ into your heart and life, then you can pl- uh, that you please God. But without the Spirit of Christ in you, you don't please God. So if you please God by having the Spirit of Christ in, in you and dwelling in you, then... God can do anything. God can look. He's saying, He's saying to you, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the grave. Now, I can't, I, I can't go down here to Mitch County Hospital or over there to Archibald Hospital in Thomasville or Phoebe Putney in in Albany, and I can't go through the cancer ward and see somebody that's about to pass away and, and touch them and, and bring, bring them back to life. I, I can't go into the morgue and start touching people and, and saying, okay, you're, you're alive and you're alive. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I can't do that because I have not been given that gift and God doesn't use me in that way. But 
Just like I cannot do those things, God is able to do those things. God's able to raise Jesus from the dead after He suffered and died a horrible death on the cross. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. You know, I want, I want to clear up something too. It didn't take three days for God to raise Jesus from the dead. He waited three days so that they would know that He was dead. There's some people today that want to say, well, Jesus was not really dead. He just kind of swooned. And, and when they put Him in the, in the tomb, it was cold and, uh, and comfortable in there. And He was able to recover. And three days later, He, he escaped out of the tomb. He was nearly dead before they even put Him on the cross. There's no way He could heal His wounds in three days. Couldn't heal His wounds in 30 days. You don't heal from being dead. But there was also a mentality that the spirit of the person hovered over the body. Now this is something that was in the Jewish mind. It's similarly why... Uh, now, if you go back in the Scriptures and you look at the, the death of Lazarus, when Jesus is, is teaching, He's in His earthly ministry, and, and they come to Him and they say, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is near unto death. And Jesus didn't drop everything and go to heal Lazarus because He knew God's plan for Lazarus, and that was for Lazarus to die. So he waited, and he waited purposely a certain number of days because they, the, in the Jewish mind, they believed the Spirit hovered over the body for two days. So Lazarus was in the, tomb, in, in the grave for more than two days. And remember when Jesus went and he uh, was outside the grave and he said, hey, you need to roll away the, tomb, uh, roll away the stone. And they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, he stinketh. That's King James Version 4. He's been dead for a while. That's going to smell. And Jesus said, you know, move it anyway. And He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. He waited purposely three days so that they would know there was no way that Lazarus was not dead, that he was completely dead. Same for Jesus. God waited three days to fulfill prophecy, but also so that there would be no one who could say Jesus was not dead. Jesus was dead. And then God raised Him from the grave. That same God who is, has the power to raise Jesus from the grave, Paul says, is the same God that can change you and transform you, can take your dirty, filthy, decaying, sinful body and transform it into a new creation, resurrect that body, and cause you to have new life in Christ Jesus. And so today I want to tell you that uh, Paul here is, is sharing that there's new life in Christ. If Christ died on the cross for you, then after salvation there's a new life. So I want to tell you, First and foremost, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and life, today's the day. He, today is the day to accept His gift of salvation. Allow this to be your spiritual birthday. Allow Christ to come into your heart and life. Allow Him to transform your life and change your life. If you've accepted Christ into your heart and life, Paul's message is, is that we're no longer the same people we once were. We are transformed. We're new. We're no longer 
the same that we were once were. Just like Edmund Hillary was never the same after being at the top and the pinnacle of Mount Everest. He never saw life the same after that. Everything he saw was through the lens of that experience. For you and for me, everything in our life should be through the lens of our salvation. Everything in our life has been changed and transformed. Paul says, Christ lives within you if you've accepted Him. His Spirit is in you. And so therefore, your life is new. He desires to... He's talking about the justification and the sanctification process of making you to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus. And God desires to move you. You don't need to be stagnant and being the same as you once were as soon as you accepted Christ into your heart and life. I've met people who have been Christians for 30, 40 years and they still have such a simple faith. That's not a good thing. That's not a compliment. That's a, that's a slight on them. They've never grown. Now, if you had a baby and that baby was born a couple of months ago and that baby never grew any after 10, 15 years is still a little baby, never grew any bigger, you'd say something was wrong. And it's the same for the Christian that accepts Jesus Christ in heart and life, never grows and matures as a Christian. If you never do, then there's something wrong. Paul says, if you have Christ living in you, you should be more like Christ. So that's our challenge, to be more like Christ. Understanding that if Christ lives in you, you're a new creation. Let's bow in prayer.